Welcome to the Tales from the Ruther Library, a podcast coming straight from the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State University in the heart of Detroit, Michigan. Today, we are going to look at the folklore archives at the Ruther Library. Uh, the folklore archive established in 1939 contains the oldest and largest record of urban folk traditions in the United States. At its core are thousands of student field research projects covering a broad range of topics. And the topics we chose today, Troy, was what? Folklore cold remedies. That's right. How are you uh, feeling, Dan? I have a cold. Oh, how timely. I know. Isn't this perfect? <laughs> you know, you try these folklore remedies. You know, actually, actually, I was doing a little research on this this, this weekend with my cold. Mm-hmm. And there was a study that just recently came out from University of Michigan saying that over half the parents they looked at, studied, talked to, um, use folklore remedies. Okay. So I, I tried some of the things that we talked to Elizabeth Clemens about. One was, of course, steam. Mm-hmm. I used some um, hot toddy mixtures, mm. but we didn't have any whiskey, but I used brandy. Mm. Put me to sleep. It's getting better. But I sound hoarse and stuff like that. But, you know, we are going to learn some neat things about using goose fat. (laughs) We're going to learn interesting things of how to use a lot of whiskey. And just general information that's really cool. So, But remember, folks, we are not doctors here. So, Troy, what's the warning? Should we tell everybody? Don't try this at home, especially the goose fat. Thank you very much. No, really. Don't use turpentine. Don't use kerosene. Hey, Lizzie, how you doing? Hey, Dan, how's it going? Excellent, excellent. So it's wintertime, and we're going to be talking about the folklore archives because everybody's catching colds, right? Yes, okay. I just got over one. Oh, great. It was awesome. It was an awesome cold? It was tremendous. Well, maybe you use some of these remedies we're going to be talking about. All right, what is the folklore archives again? So the folklore archive is one of the oldest and largest records of urban folk traditions in the United States, and it contains thousands of student research projects that cover a broad range of topics, and generally these focus on a particular ethnic group, place, or theme. The more modern field projects, and by this I mean anything from the 1960s onwards, consist of transcripts of oral interviews that were conducted by the students as part of their research, as well as audio recordings and photographs. The older projects typically use published materials as sources, like a traditional research paper would, and what makes these early papers interesting are the dates of the sources. Most of them are from the late 19th or early 20th centuries. Cool. So we kind of you took a little deep dive to find some cold remedies for these winter months. Yeah. So um, in looking through the index, because the Folklore Archive actually has its own card catalog. Very nice. You guys, if you like card catalogs, you're going to be into this. <laughs> there were nearly 100 studies that took a look at folk cures and remedies in the collection. And these deals with conditions that range from eye infections to malaria to changing the position of a breech birth. All right. Quick question, though. Why do you think, uh, one, that they were using these cold remedies traditional folklore type remedies and you know it's still used today do you have any theories about this well in the interviews i was reading i surveyed about 20 projects and then about nine of them actually had cold remedies in them which was kind of surprising because i thought it'd be more common 
Um, but for the most part, there were three different reasons. Um, some people didn't trust modern industrialized medicine, or they liked to use medicines that had a specific cultural tie to an area, or things that they're used to using that they could find in nature. This was generally, you would find this within the Appalachian group, uh, this kind of mistrust of big industry. Or um, there was an interview with a young woman of Chinese descent, and her family's medicine had to do with specific places. Second, there's the poverty and the inadequacy of the U.S. healthcare programs at the time. So their social and physical environments where they were forced to live may have made, more, made them more vulnerable to poor health. Um, and this might be because they lived miles from the nearest doctor, or they couldn't be treated nearby because of their race. In some of the interviews, it was mentioned that they were just too poor to afford medicine or doctors, and seeking out treatment was reserved for life and death situations because a visit to a doctor could be financially cataclysmic. There was one interview with a young woman who lived on the east side. She was of Polish descent, and she talked about how when her mother got sick and had to quit working, she had to quit school to be able to work and afford the medicines. So this could be um, a huge life-altering event, just going to the doctor. Right. And finally, some people shared their practices, um, but they didn't practice their family's folk medical beliefs um, because they viewed modern medicine as superior, but they liked to pass along the folk remedies as part of a cultural inheritance to their children. Uh, tradition. Yeah. Some of the things you mentioned actually ring true today modernly. I mean, it seems like more and more people are looking for that natural cure and going to the herbal places to get the natural medicines, right? You know, I was eating garlic now, turmeric. Um, and also, you know, um, medical debt is a huge influence nowadays. People are avoiding the emergency rooms or even the doctors because they can't afford it. Yeah. So, all right. Who are, who was interviewed in these, um, all these transcripts? So there's this really great mixture of people. You've got everyone from housewives to medical professionals. We've got auto workers, secretaries, and just other working people. Um, they range from about 23 years old to about 60. Almost half of them had some sort of schooling past high school. They're representatives from the local African-American, Polish, Jewish, Italian, Irish, Palestinian, and Appalachian communities. And for the most part, these cures were passed to the informants, primarily through their parents, but they're also transmitted through extended family or community healers. Right, so it's a very oral thing as well, is passing down the traditions. Um, all right, let's get into it. This has always been freaking me out. Whenever you think about uh, folklore, medicine, animal fat. Oh, man, there is so much animal fat in yeah, here. Yeah, it, it's, it is it's crazy. greasy, isn't it? Wow, and as a vegetarian, I was just kind of, <laughs> whoa, hey. Um, but... Animal fat is, is used quite frequently, at least within these interviews, and um, mostly it's used within something which is called a poultice, and um, this is where you generally you mix some sort of liquid or plant or powder together, and then you apply it to an area and cover it with a cloth, and in general, they're heated, right, and mm -hmm. it's supposed to kind of draw out whatever illness it is. There was a cure from one of the Polish informants who use dry mustard seed in warm water. You just mix that together and apply it to your chest and cover it with a cloth, and it's supposed to pull the fever out. Okay. And that's really friendly, and that's something that you might have seen in, like, a movie or something, or Little House on the Prairie. Right. But then you get into the goose fat. This is my favorite part. Yeah, and these goose fat poultices were far more universal. To do this, you would just take what they call goose grease, and you'd put it on your chest or your throat or some instances your feet, 
and you would cover it up with flannel. There are different variations on this. You might mix the goose grease with camphor oil. And this cure was cited by African-Americans, Irish, Polish, German, and Appalachians. Um, there was a really funny interview with a woman who was remembering her childhood in Poland. And she said the, the local healer, who they called like the neighborhood witch or something, she always recommended the remedy of the goose, the goose fat on the chest. And she said they never tried it, but her sons did. And you could always know when her sons were sick because you could smell them coming down the street. <laughs> Lovely. Okay. Um, now, with colds, we always get sore throats. We always have that during the wintertime, it seems like. Um, my mom would use whorehound with us, but for some reason, there always, it seems to be there's always lemon or whiskey involved. So why don't you tell us some of the other things that you discovered about uh, syrups and those things for our throats? Yeah, so everybody really likes honey and whiskey. and It's the best. Yeah, I, I felt like I was part of a universal community when I was reading this because I'm like, wow, it's all the kind of the same variations on the thing. Like you mentioned, whorehound candy is something that is very popular. It was popular with um, the Appalachian informants. And interestingly, whorehound is actually a component that's used in um, commercially produced uh, cough syrup and lozenges because it's a, a plant that's part of the... Uh, mint family. Uh, but honey and lemon is in everything. Um, in Appalachian practices, you could use it just honey and lemon, heat it up and made into a syrup, and that would help clear out mucus. Um, you could mix it with honey and dissolved rock candy to help with a deep chest cough, according to one of the Jewish informants. I like that one because it was rock candy, and what kid wouldn't want that? Mm-hmm. You could use half a teaspoon of honey and baking soda to loosen phlegm, and that came from um, an African-American informant. And then there were two that were really similar. One was uh, making a syrup out of honey, lemon, and whiskey, and you would just keep that in the refrigerator, and that was from an Irish girl. And then uh, just straight up honey and whiskey that you would keep in the refrigerator, and that was from an Italian woman. These are all crossovers here. People, you know, Different geographic, different ethnicities, all using whiskey, honey hot water. All right, so what are the, some of the teas? I mean, you, you mentioned that there were some like great teas that were used. Yeah, it, it seemed like everybody says drink hot water or hot tea of some sort. The Appalachian informants got more in specific of what kind of teas you should use. Uh, they suggested catnip, red pepper, onion, and something called moline, which is an herb. It's used to manage uh, respiratory issues like asthma, coughs, and even tuberculosis. Mm. You may have also heard it referred to as candle flower or logwort. But other people tended to use teas um, in a more fun way. You would use tea mixed with rum and honey. That was a German cure. Rum and German. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. Okay. But I'll go with it. I, me too. I'm fine with that. Which, of course, is very similar to the other universal cure, which is the hot toddy. <laughs> there are a bunch of variations on this, but generally it's whiskey, hot water, and either sugar or honey mixed up, and then you drink it. It was referenced by nearly every ethnic group that was interviewed and universally praised. Universally praised. I can understand alcohol. Numbs it and puts you to sleep. Yeah, I think the hot toddies are mostly... You know, the hot liquid helps kind of clear out some of the phlegm. And then if you have a really, either a good or a bad whiskey, it's going to burn your throat. Yeah, right. <laughs> kind of break up some of that mucus. But it does put you to sleep, so it helps you rest. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. But still also great to drink. Mm. Um, what else you got? 
there were a couple strange things that I saw that would fall under the lozenges and syrups. And these are things where we would definitely say, don't try this at home. Please don't, folks. Yeah, seriously, not with these. Um, one, a cure for, it was actually kind of a cure-all. It was for sore throat, stomach aches, and in case you had worms. You could put three drops of turpentine in a teaspoon of sugar and then consume in it. It would, like, cure everything. Turpentine. Turpentine, yeah. We'll get into that later, the turpentine yeah. fiascos or things. Right? Yeah. And something similar to that was if you had a cold, you would take kerosene and sugar together in a teaspoon. Or just drink half a bottle of castor oil. Or just drink a bath bottle of uh, whiskey and you'll be fine. Okay. Um, there was something weird you were talking about earlier about with eggs. Yeah, there, there's this category I formed called other drinks. <laughs> and it was something that was called um, the Gogol Mogul. And I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it was spelled um, in the different interviews different ways. And this was a traditional Jewish cure in which you took the yolk of an egg, a teaspoon of brown sugar, a shot of whiskey, and mixed it all together with boiling milk. And the young woman said, it's a guaranteed cure. <laughs> All right, you mentioned earlier onions, and we always hear about garlic and onions. Um, what examples do you have for us there? So uh, another one of the Jewish informants liked to use raw onion, and they said whenever anyone in the house is ill with a cold, you should cut up a raw onion and put pieces of it in every room in the house, and this will prevent the cold germs from spreading, which may sound kind of weird. It does actually have it goes way back. It goes back into, I think, the 1500s um, mm-hmm. when there was plague going around. They they started doing that to keep plague out of houses. And it had a resurgence in 1918 with the Spanish flu, oh, yeah. um, where in some village, the, the houses that had the onions didn't have influenza in the house. Of course, there's there's nothing behind that one except for, I think, superstition. Because, but yeah. another cure was... <laughs> This was from the same young Jewish woman. She said, garlic worn around the neck will prevent all colds and also vampires. <laughs> oh, by the way, an extra bonus, no vampires. Um, and then there was another one from a young Polish woman where she said, if you take rye bread and a clove of garlic and you chew it seven t- several times a day and the juice will take care of the cough. Okay. Also, hot onion soup at bedtime will make you sweat out a cold, which sounds disgusting. Yes, it does. It does, but uh, it goes along with the whole idea of the chicken soup remedies. I guess. I guess. I mean, but um, I, I, you mentioned also there is the, the whole steam thing. And my mom would do this for us where you'd fill up the sink with hot water and you put a towel over your head and dip your head down and breathe in the steam. One, it relaxed us. So you'd want to go to sleep, but also it'd clear up your congestion. So it actually, you actually found something about steam, right? I did. It was by um, one of the Jewish informants. I believe this one was the housewife. And she said that what you would do is you would take a pot of boiling water and you'd put spirits in it. And then you'd place a cloth over your head and inhale the spirit-tinted steam. And the cloth tent would kind of make a mini sauna. Mm-hmm. This is one where I think we probably still use it because we use humidifiers, you know, to help clear up congestion. I just want to say if you use this at home, um, you want to make sure that you turn off your cooktop first before you drape cloths over. Good, good warning there. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Uh, The viewers and listeners all thank you for that one. I'm here for your safety. That's why you're here. All right. I know you got some cupping stories. 
I do. This is actually my favorite one um, because it was so unique. It didn't have anything to do with whiskey or lemon or fat or anything. <laughs> um, it came from a young man who was interviewing his father. His father um, was Palestinian, grew up in the West Bank, and he was a 50-year-old auto worker. Um, so this is probably a cure that happened based on the interview, probably in the 1920s. And he said that they used cupping to relieve aches related to a chest cold. And if you're not familiar, cupping is when you heat small jars and place them on the skin. Um, in this case, he would put three on each side of the chest, and they create a sort of vacuum. Okay. Um, and heat up the skin and pull on it. And when you would take it off, you'd rub the olive oil and into the spots to kind of soothe it. And he said it really helped with um, the pain and made people feel better. That's cool. Um, but there were some other kind of interesting things that might be worth mentioning just because they're so unique. One is uh, for sore throats. This was an Appalachian cure. Uh, you would take a dirty sock that the person had worn that day and you would wrap it around their necks. And if you didn't have a dirty sock, you could use a red woolen cloth. And the color was supposed to help draw the heat out, the color red. And there are various references to the color red through all these. Yeah, um, not specifically with colds, but I saw in another interview, an African-American informant was talking about um, if you have kidney problems, a nice cure is to take a red piece of silk and tie it around your waist. And that's supposed to help solve that problem. Interesting. Okay. Cuppings, wrappings, and all that kind of stuff. What else did you, um, what else did you come up with? Uh, well, there are a couple other kind of unusual things. Um, one is an Appalachian cure, which, again, I want to stress, please don't try this at home. But if you had a sore throat, again, it was with wrapping a cloth around it, you would dip flannel in kerosene and wrap it around your throat. And supposedly okay. that was supposed to help your throat from being sore. I don't know if it was something with the fumes or if the... I don't know. Tingly feeling on that. I, I have a feeling it probably has more to do with whatever they had on hand at the time to help And cure. there was a lot of kerosene laying around. Probably. Sure, because yeah, a lot so. of places back in the 20s and 30s when these people were coming up didn't have electricity yet. All right. So let's just go through how does it work kind of thing. Yeah. So like honey, why why is honey so relevant, relevant to everything? Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things I found when I was doing research for this was a lot of this actually does have its basis in, like, actual medicine. Honey is effective for relieving coughs because of its antibacterial and microbial properties. Um, when you mix honey and hot water, it can actually help soothe your throat. Mm. Um, in fact, I was doing some research, and the UK's National Health Service guidelines actually recommends using honey over antibiotics for reducing the symptoms of acute coughs when you have an upper respiratory infection, just because um, the honey is soothing and antibiotics, you know, if it's a virus, it's not going to do anything. So if you're feeling bad, definitely try out some honey. Although if you have children, children under the age of 12 months shouldn't use it uh, because there's a danger of, of botulism. Course. We actually use raw local raw honey when uh, allergy season comes around to introduce our kids to that pollen. Oh, nice. So we think it works. It might hold it off, you know, a bit from, you know, huge onslaught of all the pollen in the air. But uh, we've been trying that. So we're going to hopefully that, that works. 
Yeah. It's also delicious. And you know that you got that too. All right. Speaking of delicious, you, lemon. Lemons obviously are good for something. Yeah. Lemon has vitamin C and that helps um, support the immune system. Okay. Also, it's got that little bit of bite to it. So if you've got a bunch of gunk in your throat and it's coming down, it's going to kind of clear it away True. a little bit. Sure. All right. It's, why does everybody use animal fat? You know, I I looked into this and I couldn't find a reason why this would work. But it's so universal. I mean, yeah. uh, you find it in nearly all of the European cultures you find it, um, you know, it was brought over with the Europeans to America and you find it with like African-Americans and, you know, all sorts of different groups that are here. But also there are a number of First Nation peoples who've used it as well. I was reading there was this ongoing Canadian Institutes of Health Research grant that's going on that's looking into traditional healing. And part of it's looking at how members of the member to First Nation up in Cape Breton use goose fat for its medicinal purposes hmm. so maybe they can give us an answer but everybody okay. uses it so it must work it right? must work so yeah exactly um garlic and onions they, they come up time and time again there must be something behind them that people researched yeah so garlic is thought to have antimicrobial properties that might help the immune system fight viral infections and it's also packed with antioxidants so it has also this immune-boosting compound called allicin, which is known to relieve cold and flu symptoms. You know, all these things reduce the symptoms of a cold, but there is no cure for a cold. You right. just kind of got to let it run its course. And um, onions are members of the allium family, and they're, they've been widely used for various medicinal purposes throughout Europe and Asia for centuries. So, again, it's it's just one of those antimicrobial properties that might help the immune system. All right. These are kind of things that we know really do help. But through these conversations that we had, I'm sure you had to look up why people were using kerosene and turpentine, especially turpentine. Now, don't do this at home, folks. This is some crazy stuff. Um, what, what did you find out about turpentine? So, you know, turpentine, we all know, is basically what you use as kind of a paint thinner. And it's made by distilling resin from pine trees. And it was once used as kind of this cure-all for all ailments, especially in like the 19th century. It's enjoying a bit of a revival now, but it is very dangerous if you ingest it incorrectly. It can cause something called white-out lungs, where um, if you inhale it instead of swallowing it, it can bleach out your lungs. It's thought to have antiseptic properties, like for cleaning cuts and things like that, but it can really damage your skin if it's exposed to it for too long. And it's so flammable. Yes. We had a that was the other thing. They were like, wrap kerosene around your leg. I'm like, and this is where we say, do not try this at home. I mean, what? <laughs> kerosene around your neck? No, I can imagine it might feel good, like with the alcohol and, the, and with the it vapors. evaporating yeah, and yeah. stuff, yeah. but... Yeah. Hold on, I'll smoke a cigarette while we're doing this and oh smoke the pipe God. right next to the kerosene lamp. Uh-huh. So I never actually found a reason why turpentine would be used to cure stomach aches and colds and worms and whatever. Mm -hmm. It might just be that it was something that was on hand or it might just be a tradition. Made tradition. Traditions. And this is what we're all talking about is basic traditions. So... How, what is your feeling that these folklore remedies that are they're not written down, 
but we all have them. Troy, you've got some stories about your folk traditions. You know, Elizabeth has some. We all have some. What do you think for that, Elizabeth? Why? Why do we keep doing this? I don't know. I think, you know, part of it has to do with kind of passing on family traditions. You know, even if you don't use it, you still hear about it. And it's some way to keep, you know, family traditions alive. You know, personally, I don't like to use things like Sudafed or NyQuil or any of that unless I have to because you can just use honey and tea and it pretty much does the same thing. Or whiskey, you know. <laughs> That'll put you out just as much as NyQuil will. And you know you got nice dreams coming out of those. Right? Yeah, exactly. When I was in Ireland, I caught pneumonia up at the um, Giant's Causeway. And when I came back, I was so sick, but there weren't any doctors around. And they were just like hot toddies and yep. they would fix me up hot toddies at the village pub. And it was like hot whiskey with these cloves and this lemon and it was so good it made you feel so good yeah it made you warm relaxed. and i lived so it works yeah all right thanks elizabeth thanks for having me always okay so troy we just found out some interesting usage of whiskey which you you and i both agree with which I, is a very good medicine i feel a cold coming on right now me too <laughs> um i want to thank uh dara walker who was a researcher here a long time ago and yes we love you very much thanks for the bottle of whiskey honey <laughs> i still have a little bit left i think i'm gonna use it for my cold now folks please please don't use kerosene don't use turpentine i don't think it's gonna help at all it's a terrible idea you're gonna smell bad too and possibly combust don't do it <laughs> um but that was a fun show wasn't it troy it was a lot of fun and a lot of the things that lizzie talked about are what my grandma prescribed drinking hot water nothing in it that might have just been you know frugality on her part <laughs> <laughs> But when I go home, I'm going to have some hot water, and I don't have any rock candy, but I'm going to dump some sugar in there. Well, a honey. I used up all the honey this weekend. Oh, well, go buy more. Uh, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> we got sugar. <laughs> and now I got my whiskey. So um, I'm going to try some of these remedies some more and get rid of this cold. All right, good luck. Thank you. Good night, Troy. It's not night. It's morning. It's early. Say goodbye, Troy. Goodbye, Dan. <laughs> Tales from the Ruther Library is a production of the Walter P. Ruther Library of Labor and Urban Affairs at Wayne State University, coming to you from the heart of the Cultural Center of Detroit, Michigan. The producers of Tales from the Ruther Library are Dan Glogner and Troy Eller-English. Special assistance from the Ruther Podcast Collective, including Bart Bilmer, Elizabeth Clemens, Megan Courtney, and Paul Neering. Of course, this podcast could not be done without the research and the support of the entire Ruther Library staff. To learn more about the Ruther Library, or if you have any questions, please visit our website at www.ruther.wayne.edu. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, Dan. Goodbye, Dan. <laughs> How you feeling, Dan? Got cold. All right, let's get this over. All right. So I can go fall down. 
just slather yourself in Vicks. <laughs> on your feet? Yeah. Well, anywhere. Anywhere. Just take a bath in it? <laughs> So again, it's it's just one of those anti antimicrobial. Let's just cut out onions. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> so weird and awkward. Uh, <laughs> it's not awkward. It's not. It's just you guys. I get like, like, what am I talking about? You're just awkward. <laughs> no, I am. You're just talking to me, and you know I'm just talking that. to Dan. I got all these notes. Just don't cuss. It's so hard for me. <laughs> I just drop it now. Dang. It's bad. Also, it's really bad. I can probably edit it out. I forgot you have really good editing skills. She's great so. editing skills with me. I've given her great practice. You have, Dan. You have. <laughs> 